Hello and welcome back to the Dakota Student Podcast. I'm your host, Mason, and I'm joined as always with Ben and Claire. How are you guys doing today? Doing really good. Doing good. Good. I hope you guys had an excellent Easter. I hope all the listeners had an excellent Easter as well. First up on the agenda, we have COVID updates. As usual, we have UND vaccinating students with the Johnson & Johnson. I think that's been going on for a bit. Um, I don't believe it's been going on for a bit. I know that they sent an email today to about scheduling appointments where you go to the uh, health services uh, portal, either online or you can call them to get your appointment set up to uh, get the vaccine. Um, just so that all students know there is, there is no cost to receive the vaccine. And at least at the, for the student health services one, walk-ins will not be, be accepted. So you have to make sure you get your appointment set up. Mm. I thought they'd been doing this for a couple of no, weeks. No, they sent out a thing to see what the... Uh, what the interest level was. Yes, what the, what, 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 the in, what the interest level was. And now they're actually getting it where you can get your uh, appointment set up. Okay. As well as they also said, you can also get them through um, the Alaris Center, or you can also get it at the Thrifty White Pharmacy. Well, UND students, go check out Campus Connection if you're interested for the vaccine. Uh, it is Johnson Johnson. That is a one, one-time deal, I believe, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And it's not Campus Connection they visit. It's the Student Health Service Portal. Okay. My apologies. Um, I think that's it for UND news. Not much happening. Uh, well, there is a little bit happening with that Memorial Union. I don't know. Have you guys seen the new pictures that they posted? I have not. I'll look into Oh, it's going to... I haven't seen the photos. Well, let me rephrase. I haven't seen the recent ones. I know that there was some mock-ups for, like, Memorial Village. Is that what they were calling it? That They showed a couple, like, brief snippets of them during that live stream a couple weeks ago, but I haven't gone my way to look at anything yet. Yeah, I believe, I believe it was, like, recently. Um, yeah, on the 30th, they actually posted some photos. It's pretty nice looking. Still, it's I not good. I, su- I suppose neither of you are in town. Like I drive over um, the bridge on Columbia and see like it's weird. But, but, like the bleachers basically aren't there at all. It's definitely a different site. So, yeah, I'm sure it's going to look wild when I come back. I haven't been there since November. They have a webcam out there. and You look at this building and it looks nothing like what the old union looked like. Oh, you're talking about the union. I thought you were talking about Memorial Stadium. My brain is Oh, not Memorial on. Stadium. Sorry, boys. I- is it so? Is the plan? I I know you listened to that live stream. Is the plan to build up that's placed? I know I know they're going to be adding on to the, um. Oh, what's the? Is it's now the Pollard High High Performance Center? Correct. Yeah. So um, are they? I I think it's kind of in addition to it. Something about keeping an outdoor field because obviously the high performance center has um indoor one like a turf indoor one but i'm not 100 sure what their plans are with it it's called it memorial village and my brain's like ah yes olympic village so so is it are they going to then host games there to replace alaris or oh i would imagine not there's too much money poured into the alaris right now Um, i think it's just a bit more um more like training center stuff. Oh, oh so like, it's, like it's just away. a practice area, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, for 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 anyone who hasn't been to the campus in a while, it's going to look totally different from what we knew it as. I'm sure it will. I'm I'm excited to see the changes. I'm sure I, I'll come I, back in a year or two, and the more union will be all done. Everything will be looking all nice and pretty. And then they're ripping down the school of business next, right? I believe they're already doing uh, the campus blog website has them already working on it where there's some progress done. Okay. Um, It appears that they've got quite a bit of it already done. Of like, I mean, I mean, of like the exterior work. My interpretation was that they're going to demolish the building maybe i was wrong i are they just renovating the space no this is a new add-on building oh, okay remember so remember that there was all 
where the college business was and then the library, there was always that weird spot. Mm. Sorry, say that again. What weird spot? Yeah. <laughs> where there was the call there it was college business on one side and there, there then there was the road. Then if you traveled east, there was the library. Library and then south there was um I think I don't remember what classes were in there. I think they were like education classes or something. But then there was that just chunk of land there that had nothing there. And it, nearby the, uh, is that where this is? Or am I completely screwed? Or have I got my building location screwed up? I honestly am going to have to look more into it now. Well, the only thing I can think of is the, um, like the graduate student center, but that was by the college of business. And that was basically done last year. Like they did some more work on it over the past summer. It looks really nice now, but like it's practically done. Okay. Well, I think that's what I'm thinking of. I'm trying to look at a map right now. Uh, The second I thought you were referencing that plot of land over by McVeigh that has nothing on it. I was like, that's not anywhere near it. (laughs) No, I'm not talking about McVeigh. It's, like right across the street from, I'm trying to look at a map. So you, you, we know where Gamble Hall is. Then there's Montgomery. Okay, you know where Maryfield is, right? Yes. North of it's Montgomery. Oh, okay. So here's Gamble. Got it. Here's Chester. Got it. Here's Maryfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that space right there. Is it go? Is it right there? I. I don't know. I thought they were demolishing it and rebuilding, but if they're at an extension, that's the only place I could see it working out. Because here's the, here's the union. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's the law. I do love it that none of the maps have it out. I always thought Gamble was associated with the College of Business, but I don't know anything. It is. They renamed it. Now I'm all confused. I don't know what they're building. <laughs> building project. Here we go. Building renders. Yeah, that's in the Gamble spot. Go to the picture right above it. Isn't that in the gamble spot? Oh, we're looking. Because here's a skyway, so it's going to connect to... It's connecting to Maryfield. Which would fit the gamble spot. Yeah. It was across the road. I think it's in the gamble spot. So they're just not going to have that building for a year. Yeah. Well, gamble's old. It is very old. I know they renovated it a couple years ago, but you can can tell. I've only ever been in gamble for... Mason, skyway connecting to the Chester Fritz Library. So that is going in that open space then. So that open space. Yeah. Right across the street from Gamble. Yes. Yeah. So is. Yeah. So it's going in that weird spot. Yeah. Right there. So Montgomery must have been torn down. They don't even have it green anymore. They're like, we're not associated. The ironic part is I had I went on this walk a whole bunch and I always cut through it. So now I'm going to have to go all the way around it. Yeah, me as well. Well, I'm graduating, so I don't have the problem. So it must then connect to Maryfield, the Fritz, and is it, would it, why would they connect it to Gamble? I look at the renders. I don't know what they're planning on doing with Gamble now. Maybe they'll make that like a graduate area. I don't know. One thing I want to talk about it's Joe Biden's spending. I don't know how much you guys have looked into it. He did the, he released like an infrastructure plan, a couple yeah, trillion dollars. One point, another $1.9 trillion. Yeah. On top of all the stimulus stuff, trillions. I don't even know what to think anymore. I don't, I haven't looked at our debt and I'm sure it's mind blowing <laughs> how much debt we've increased from in the past two years, year. You remember okay, when what? you were in elementary school and they'd always pull up like the national debt counter and there's just, you know, like spinning numbers. Yeah. Does that still exists. I'm, I don't I'm want sure to see it does. It. I don't want to see it. Oh, here it is. Oh, dang it. <laughs> 28 trillion. I feel like we are not putting everything on the books. I feel like it should be higher than that. Look at how, f- okay, but I'm serious uh, though. Look at how fast that number, the, the hundred thousand is climbing right now. Yeah. Every time you blink, there's another hundred thousand. <laughs> but we can go back to twenty that clock time machine. Oh, ready no. to look at twenty? Okay, so remember, we're at about twenty-eight point one trillion. Um, yep. yeah. huh. 
This is 2019. This is 2016. 2016. I feel like our number is definitely going to jump up a lot higher pretty soon, especially if that infrastructure plan goes through. I know, but look at that debt per citizen. 2016, it was $60,000 a person. Yep. We jumped to today, 85000 Interesting thing about our debt as well. A lot of it is debt to ourselves. Uh, the government's really good at taking money from Social Security and not paying it back. So, yeah, there's that. China, Japan. We owe a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It, he's kind of gone on a little bit of, of a uh, spending spree, we could say. Yeah. You know, we, we do need infrastructure improvements. I agree with that, but I don't know if this is the time. I, I don't know when would be the time, but we're spending so much money that we don't have. We're printing so much money. We're devaluing the dollar. It's just not good. It's not a good combination. Does that just say it's going to increase jobs? That's what he's... American jobs plan. That Okay. What about the pipeline? What about all these things that could have had jobs? So it's going to fix highways, rebuild bridges, upgrade ports, airports, and transit systems. Oh, did you see the one um, cabinet member who rode into that meeting on a bike? What did you see this? Uh, oh, uh, oh, it was uh, uh, the transportation yeah. secretary, uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, I also saw him unload it like from a block away. Yeah. Oh, oh buddy. Oh. That's all right. That's my whole perception of this whole administration. Just a bunch of fake phony people. That's all it is. They're people that toot their moral compass horn saying they're superior. And then they go behind their own word. It's, it's sickening. All these people it's, are sickening. I mean, no one would have cared if you just rolled up in the SUV. Like literally no one would have cared. Because no. no <laughs> I do laugh at how he says we're going for new airports when the airport infrastructure budgets on its own budget item, not even connected to anything in the U.S. Everyone who flies pays for the airport infrastructure. Because there's a, a set budget there, which is actually why this year's been very hard for airports, because that. That budget that we get is spent by when you and I go and buy an airplane ticket and go fly somewhere. And when no one flew last year, it didn't fill up this year's uh, budget at all. All right, look at look at down below too. Deliver clean drinking water, a renewed electric grid, and high speed broadband to all Americans. A renewed right. electric grid. We hashed that out. Sorry. <laughs> clean drinking water. Why is this even part of the plan? Just do it. Don't it's, make it, it. No, it just says eliminate lead pipes. I feel like that's something that, you know, oh, cities should be working on as well. Everyone in local government should be working on that. But high-speed broadband to all Americans, that's What do you guys think about that? Is that the role of the government to provide high-speed broadband to all Americans? I feel like the minimum internet speeds are ridiculously low. Here's what the FCC requires minimum their minimum is. It's like so the the minimum broadband internet connection is a minimum of 25 megabit uh, down three megabit up that's very slow so think about that 25 down three up yeah i could understand if they maybe went to 100 down and 10 up or 15 up or whatever the companies decide but i don't see it as the government needs to fix it it's more of the providers need to fix it i i agree I, this is a private space. I don't know why the government wants to get involved. Well, here's the other thing: you've got SpaceX launching satellites, which we can, we get to talk, which we'll talk about a little bit more in our uh, space podcast. But they're doing this whole Starlink system yeah. of a satellite in space, and you get a receiver, and it's li literally the same intentions. You know, they yeah, Elon Musk wants to provide internet. You know, it's going to be terrible, probably not very good internet. Um, it's actually not bad. Um, so they say on on Starlink's website, they say users can expect to see varying speeds from 50, 50 to 100 megabit down. Which truly is not bad. You know, it's not terrible, but 
I'm not getting it. Uh, this is definitely for, you know, people who can't afford expensive internet. Um, I don't think it's that. I think it's for ones that doing a cable or a fiber or a DSL line just is not the best for. They, they say that they're designed for rural and remote communities. So first oh, yeah. thing that pops into my mind is like Alaska. If you have if you have your little Starlink your uh, Starlink satellite, and you got an, uh, and you have power, you've now got an internet connection. Yeah. Granted, it may not be the fastest internet connection in the world, but you can now get online. I I honestly feel like it'll be great for so many people, like farms and whatnot. I know I have a couple of buddies who live out on farms, and that's one of their main complaints is how terrible the internet is and. I don't know. Maybe this will help it. We'll get into that in the next podcast, though. And and of course, it, all that this really is is a proposal right now. Yeah. We have no idea what. Um, What's what authorized public transit? Stop there. Oh. Uh, I think he wants to do a lot to Amtrak. No, it's buses. I thought isn't there interesting? Amtrak? I think Amtrak, Amtrak is, a part is of this. already losing so much money. Let's. Oh yeah. So it that. says uh, wants to repair. All of this is repairing public transportation, so like buses and and that system. Because I don't believe because he wants to invest in reliable passengers in reliable passenger rail. So it's address Amtrak's repair backlog, modernize the Northeast Corridor. The biggest issue for rail, there just isn't many places where rail is serviced to, and where it is, it's. Some places have very weird times, like Grand Forks. The train can be there anywhere from three in the morning to four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I just think people don't like the rail. It goes to a decent bit of places, but I'm sure people prefer flying over rail. I think it's to be honest, it's actually kind of expensive. Yeah, like it's, it's, I can just drive. <laughs> I'll just drive for that well, price. Well, why, why don't we just do a quick? Uh, look up right now quick cost comparison brought to you um, someone pull up grand forks to chicago on on like google flights or something i just searched gf to chicago flight and expedia pulled up with 219 uh do a one-way trip that one way 193 gf to chicago um so there's two options they're both 90 dollars. you leave grand forks at 102 in the morning and arrive 14 hours later at 355 you know you save half the money but is that 14 hours worth it no <laughs> what what is a driving time from grand forks to chicago i've made uh, that drive before less than 14 it. hours for uh sure. let's look i think it's close actually really well okay this sounds bad des moines to minot is 13 so i'm guessing it's somewhere range maybe my perceptions are just off right now Grand Forks, and we're going to oh, get the ten fifty, uh, ten hours and fifty minutes. So three hours. I don't know. Maybe that is worth. I don't know. Ten out. So it's ten hours and fifty eight minutes. Yep. But you've also got a factor, and you're going to have to at least stop for gas, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to do a. You're going to have to do some bathroom breaks. Uh, unless you have grown up driving all the time, and you stop once and that's it (laughs) just saying but you think about that so a train takes 14 hours uh driving is about 11 hours and flying is how long's the flight time i don't know i don't know let me see if i can check (laughs) well well, what was the time that the flight departed at and arrived at in general they're about four hours Okay, so four but hours. But that's, that's sometimes, I think that's including a layover, though. So that's including a layover. So it's really six hours because you have to check in two hours before. I mean, this is Grand Forks, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I normally only do like an hour at most. Well, yeah. I, I know. It's like they, they only, you see TSA shows up about an hour and 15 minutes before the flight comes and then they're done. Yep. That's that's my main uh I don't know I was gonna my main appeal to the Grand Forks airport compared to like MSP security is just a breeze. Uh I, I can agree with you with that. Small town airports, 
Fargo. Security's oh yeah, Fargo awesome. too. Yep. Except the first light of the morning. Those ones aren't the best. But still, you if think about I it. I raise you this. Flying out of a small town airport, though, you will always see someone you know, and I hate it. Don't yeah, want to sit next to the one lady from church for the next hour and a half to Minneapolis. Like, I'm good. Thanks. I no. guess when I, as someone who doesn't live there, and I just am literally trying to get to Minneapolis because I have to... F- fly ahead to fly backwards mm-hmm. um, pretty much if i know someone i'm gonna see him again on this next flight the route i fl- fly at grand forks minneapolis and then minneapolis to seattle you can only get on like two or three flights if you're trying to leave like tuesday thursday afternoon when you're done with finals so if you see him then you know you're gonna see him on the next flight yeah, my hometown was super weird for a while and how they were charging for flights because however the oil shifts fall they basically like charge more on the days that people would get off. So like you wouldn't want to fly on like Tuesdays. It was super specific. So, mm. Well, that's always uh, how it is. Yeah. Well, let's make some predictions, folks. Do we see Amtrak getting any better in the next decade? We'll, we'll do a long shot. In the next deck. So by 2030. Yeah. In terms of getting better, I mean like more people using it. More areas to travel to, maybe even faster speeds. I I see train improvement happening, but it's only going to be like on specific routes, like the, the the Northeast Corridor or like this Amtrak Cascades, which um, actually does get quite a few um, travelers in a year. Um, in 2019, it had almost 800,000 people on it throughout the year. Um, so that's actually quite a few when you think about it. That's that's a lot of people taking the train. Now it's not going to be as great as the uh, the north their nor- the northeast corridor, um, where th- that averages about twelve million people a year. So uh, I see I see the northeast corridor improving, but the thing is they've already bought. Next gener their next generation of higher speed trains anyway. Uh, I believe they're currently in Oregon being uh, no, not Oregon. Uh, they're in Colorado being tested, and they get to go at 180 miles an hour compared to uh, well, out, I can't remember what a cell it goes at, but I know it's not 180. It's like 90 or oh, it's 150, but it averages like 84. Okay, so, so some, some higher speeds. It's some higher speeds, but it's not going to be like the uh, your high speed rail you see in Europe. Yeah, and I I I see what that's where um, which they want us to get to is get to that high speed rail because um, when you when you see the German or the Chinese or the uh, Japanese trains, like the N700 trains um, that are literally traveling at like, it's like 180 or some crazy, 180 miles an hour uh, max speed. Yeah, 180 miles an hour, 170 miles an hour. And we're putzing along at 80 miles an hour with generic service running. Um, what is generic service running at if you were to do Northeast Corridor? Like the Northeast Regional, for example, you get to go up to 125 miles an hour. I doubt you're getting 120 miles an hour out of that entire four out four or six hour run. So you have a prediction, Ben? I, I well, I I think my prediction will be we see Northeast Northeast Corridor and Amtrak Cascades getting higher speeds, but Northeast Corridor we've already bought the trains, so we're at whatever the trains are able to do. So it's mainly what what are you what upgrades to the tracks are you going to do, and then if you're going to do other service, it's you're going to need to install a whole bunch of track because Amtrak doesn't own much of it. So no matter what they're going to have to do to upgrade it, it's not going to come cheap. Yeah, Claire, how about you? I mean, with the data Ben has presented, I think it's obvious that a lot of these routes will get faster, but 
will it be fast enough that people will want to use it? Because as we were saying, 14 hours to Chicago sounds awful. No, we'll not be doing that. No. Um, so, but say they cut it down to 10. Maybe, maybe I consider that with equal driving time, assuming prices stay relatively the same. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good goal to shoot for equal driving time. Cause then that might cause a lot of people to switch over. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic of government, let's talk about Tampa Bay and the reservoir wall. So that's, that's pretty ongoing right now. I think they've been trying to fix it and it's not going well. Um, I watched the news this morning and they had, they've now started pumping water, that water into the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Yeah. I do love it. The fact that they say we've known about this issue for 30 years, but we still haven't fixed it yet. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't know. It feels like every year I'm getting, I don't know how to put this, uh, less hopeful of our government, less, uh, I don't know how to say that. I don't trust our government. I'll say it like that. Um, I feel like our government doesn't, this, this, this doesn't just apply to Tampa. This is everywhere. We're normally not very good at making decisions and uh, fixing stuff. So I hope we can change that. What are your guys thoughts on it? I, that's a, that's a big goof in my opinion, having toxic wastewater seeping everywhere. You got to pump in the Gulf of Mexico. That's, this is an environmental hazard for sure. What do you guys think? I am actually surprised that if they knew about this, that it needs to, that something had to be done a long time ago. Why? How, how come they hadn't done that? Especially when you've got uh, there's a major um, natural gas air, uh, company that lives not that far away that supplies it to like. 700 has 700 miles of pipe around the area that's a big amount of people that could be uh uh could could suffer if something if something happens at this place i also saw that this toxic wastewater is uh radioactive they've i they say they 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 publicly said that it isn't but i uh I think someone wrote that down and now everyone's just been attached to it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it is for sure. I'd have to look more into it. I, I don't know how it, it would be radioactive. I saw something about. I don't think it is. If it's from what I was reading, it's a phosphate mine. And so phosphate isn't water soluble. So it. Basically, you know how people talk about um what's the word? Like acid rain stuff and how sometimes if it gets into like calcium carbonate, it neutralizes itself. Yeah. That's basically what you'd have to be that's basically what you'd have to be looking at to an extent. But it uh, I guess the real question is so they knew about this 30 years ago. And um think about how they handle oil and other mining stuff. Uh, most companies have to pay reclamation fees to like clean it up and slash or make it better than when what they started with. Like that's why you'll see a bunch of people like researching like wild grasses and stuff before they dig up coal mines in North Dakota because it has to go back to the way it was. Um, and so 30 years ago, I imagine most of those laws were in place. It's not like we're talking like 60, 70s. So that mining company should at least be held accountable to an extent for this. Oh, well, I, I, I certainly think people should be held accountable. Yeah. Well, there's an article on this Herald Tribune. Um, looks like it's from Sarasota. And apparently... Uh, the reservoir is now, they estimate, um, at 300 million gallons of wastewater, where it, the original estimate of how much wastewater was there was 480 million. Now, these are complete. These are guesses um, based on a little bit of the knowledge they knew, but still, that's... Um, 
an issue. And especially when someone, there was literally someone has said that it's leaked before and they didn't fix it. Um, like this guy said, who lives behind the country deli store off US 41 uh, nearby, and they've known about this for years. So definitely something where you look at it, it's like if you have all these people that are nearby, once you want to be sure that everything there is pretty much perfect and not, and if you were to have a possibility for something to happen, you'd have plans in place, not just we're trying to figure this out as fast as we can. Yeah, government planning really falls through a lot. Just just simple as that. Or government lack of planning comes back to bite people in the butt. Speaking of that, I know this is not related to Tampa, but it's somewhat recent. Uh, it was announced that the California reservoirs are at like 50% capacity and a, a drought's coming. I don't, I don't see a good future for California. I'm not even going to lie. It's, it seems like every year, you know, forest fires, constant droughts and always a lack of water. I, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? What can they do? Well, you say that, is it mainly is there too many people in California right now? Probably. Because for context, I know this is a little bit crazy, but there's as many people in California as the entire country of Canada. Yeah, there's more. I think a million more at least or something like that. Is it just possible that it's been overpopulated and they're trying to because they've been having is it? That they've been having these uh, water issues now for years. Yeah. I'm just worried about when these issues are going to be, you know, catastrophic where people aren't going to have water at all. Well, is it we do we now? What I'm wondering is with all these issues, do they maybe start thinking about uh, desalination of of seawater? Oh, that's so expensive. It's very expensive. I should rephrase. I I should rephrase. The actual desalinization process, not that expensive. Salt disposal. Yeah. That do be the problem. Yeah. All that brine solution. I know a lot of Middle Eastern countries just pump it right back in the ocean, but that's not good. No, it's not. Um, You know, I, I do see a future for desalination in California that may be their only viable option in all honesty, but do they have the money required? Uh, They sure make a lot of money, but I don't, I haven't looked at California's budget. I don't know if they're running a deficit. I, I do not know. It's not looking good. I I agree with you, Ben, that there are too many people. There's way too many people in California. Uh, Do you think the government might offer an incentive to move out? I don't think we've ever seen that before, but. Currently the incentive is something. Not pay I, such a high cost of living. That's why yeah. the housing markets in so many other places are insane right now. Like Denver and Atlanta, like that's terrifying. People are coming in with cash offers because people just want out of California. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I, I th- we'll have to see, especially because every year they keep the fire. The fires are just getting worse and worse. And. And the droughts are getting worse and worse, like 50% capacity. I, I haven't looked into it too much, but I wonder, I wonder how often they're at 50% capacity. Does that happen every year or run mark to be like the driest conditions in years for this year? I think it's actually been a pretty dry year nationwide. Yeah. Um, I mean, just hearing people talk about stuff in state they're like yeah let's not start any fires <laughs> are you saying uh, 2020 or 2021 i think so 2019 and 2020 i think both were historically dry and i think 2021 is gonna pass those two up as well so it's it's not this issue is not getting any better it's getting worse and i think it's getting exponentially worse when when do we reach the breaking point where they have no water? <laughs> I don't know. And for 
30, nearly 40 million people to not have water, transporting all that water in, you know, importing it, that's going to take a lot of resources. I don't even know how they're going to do it. Pipe it in, helicopter, ship bottled water. I don't, it just sounds like a lot of hassle, <laughs> a lot of money. Well, what, no matter what option they have to do to figure it out, it's, it, nothing's, it's not going to be cheap. No, I don't know. What do they even use their water on? Except for drinking. Is there a lot of farming in California? I'm sure there's yeah, quite a bit. Country. They have, Wine country. Yeah. There's quite a bit of agriculture in California. They grow like 230 crops, it appears, um, looks like. It is a very good climate for yes. crops. Looks like it's almonds, avocado. Oh, avocado is a big one, isn't it? For In terms of like water consumption. Um, I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure avocado is like the highest consuming crop in water. Not her, I'm, not sh- I, I'm not sure. Um, fish and shellfish. Cannabis. <laughs> rice. Walnuts. And wine. I don't imagine rice growing super well in California. It's interesting. Me neither, rice. especially when rice is grown in, in water. water. Yeah. <laughs> 40% of California's water consumption comes from agriculture. Hmm. And the other sixty percent, I guess, is uh, everything else. Oh gosh! Oh wait, uh, and that well. So in what years? In what years? It's not, so that's about the average year. In a mm-hmm. wet year, they're about thirty percent of the total water consumption, and then in dry years, um, closer to sixty percent. Okay. Um, they need water to to irrigate. Um, approximately uh, 9 million acres a year. That's Those are some big boy numbers. It's going to be very interesting to see the state of California in a decade. I, Unless they do some big changes, I don't see it going well. I always wonder what would happen if we could shift some of that, I'm not going to say agricultural burden, but if you could grow a lot of those uh, crops in greenhouses, like potentially saving... Um, saving money because you think about how much a pomegranate costs in December in North Dakota and you're like mm, no but you go to Arizona and you're like oh yeah 75 cents I've been thinking like, a lot about that Claire I don't know why we haven't invested more into like hydroponics is that what it's called yeah, something like that water, water irrigation you don't need the soil yeah. yeah like I don't know why we haven't invested more into that it still seems like you know we have all this fancy farm equipment but we're not actually advancing our farming techniques like at all, except for in, I think, I think there are areas after uh, I'm doing, I I did a little bit of looking at this, at these hydroponic things. I think the reason that we don't do it is um, you're not able to use as much. You'd have a hard time using the large equipment for some products uh for stuff whereas whereas you'd have to basically be hand planting everything mm-hmm. maybe that's the shift we need though i don't know yeah but the, all that all those big equipment that they have for farming they've gotten it figured the, out yeah the automation of things has been really great the automation have- the accuracy the amount that they know exactly what they need for it but it comes at a cost, such as California's drought. Is it worth it? I don't know. Maybe they. Well, who knows? Maybe in the they're they'll start looking at two more um, crops that don't require less water. Maybe. Then you get the mean old Karens. You're like, my kids will not have GMO rice. There's like, always oh, a problem, honey. There's always a problem. <laughs> I don't know. The state of farming is, especially as our population continues to boom, this not just U.S., but worldwide. I I don't know. It's not, it doesn't look good for the future. Well, actually, actually we're keeping up with it really well. I mean, because of again. GMOs and stuff like that, and people are getting on their anti-GMO phase and all this type of stuff. I don't know. I don't think GMOs are the problem, though. No, I think they're the solution, but people against GMOs are the problem. Well, then they can farm their own organic carrots. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Start well, up the, the Freedom Gardens again. 
The one thing, though, with agriculture that they're going to have the issue with is the whole right to repair thing. With as stuff gets more and more technical, with more and more computers and stuff, the less that um, your mom and pop uh, farm is going to be able to do it without having to spend a whole bunch of money to hire a mechanic to fix something that's a computer issue. Because I know, I believe it's like I believe John Deere's in court right now, trying to fight all this a whole bunch of right to repair stuff. So now we've seen with mobile devices at how right to repair is going and it's not going great right now. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, also you were saying how the mom and pop farms can't actually keep up equipment wise. Well, that's when those farms are essentially getting bought out by bigger farms who have like hired help. My grandparents rent most of their land out to a nearby um, neighbor. And granted, they are since retired and no one is taking over the farm, so it's fine. But for someone else who's trying to compete and have a livelihood, not quite the same. So, because if you can farm so much with less help, less time, if your machinery is faster, it's just a very different ballgame. Yeah. It's one of those industries where the mar- the profit margin line is very limited um, and compared compared to some of the other industries where you you have a little bit of a barrier in your profit, but agriculture is one of the things where you'll either have profit or you'll be uh, just making it. Or not at all. Or not, or at, not all. at all. I was watching a video a little bit ago about... Um, New Zealand wool issues and what they've been having issues since Trump put on the tariff to China, where this company was doing wool, shearing the wool off of sheep, and they haven't been able to sell it all. So they've actually been having to get rid of uh, wool because it's, you, they were hope, they were trying to keep it to get a higher price for it and um they they had it has a time lifespan and that time lifespan wore out hmm. so they so they were trying to figure out ways to use it um the different types of wool that they get in different purposes and it was kind of crazy watching that it's like huh just be that one whole trait tariff thing has disrupted huge different industries in different ways that I never would have thought about. Yeah. It's crazy how tied everything is. Yeah. If if farming takes a hit, a bunch of areas are going to take a hit. It's, I don't know. We've got to look to the future. Hopefully it gets better. We'll see catch you guys in a decade and we'll talk about it who knows maybe they'll have autonomous tractors yeah well they, they practically are yeah, i have they a friend are. who has no farming experience and he got hired <laughs> just a tractor watches netflix all day like ah. <laughs> what the heck? well it, it, it's just like you look at um the whole amazon wants to do this whole drone delivery thing once you've got the accuracy good enough, and if you if with this with the, with farming anyway, they're already at the it's like some inch accuracy or some crazy amount. Mm-hmm. The tractor's already got it. What's the person there for? You could literally have someone sitting there monitoring six or seven of these autonomous units, and just have them go out in the fields and do the work. Yeah, or the future's going to be interesting. Just as uh, as all this stuff develops, let's move on from farming. I don't even that was a rabbit hole again. <laughs> um, we're just gonna do a quick run through some other news. LG pulls out of the smartphone business. They're gonna start focusing on smart homes and all the devices that apply to that. I think it's a good move. I think smart homes is gonna be a huge market into the future. Maybe not necessarily right now with the increased price of lumber and everything that it takes to build a house but down the road well and then you've also got maybe the people you've got who've got a current their house that they like right now and want to modernize it 
I feel like that's a lot of money to implement a smart home system if your house wasn't built around that smart home system. Here's my one issue with the whole smart home thing, and it's the exact same thing with all technology. Technology is improving so fast. Would you really want to have everything all tied together from one era when you know like a year later it's going to be so much more more advanced the next year? Because personally, I'm not a whole big fan of this whole smart home thing. I think it works. It, it it works for a couple things. Uh, I think uh, the video doorbells aren't a bad idea. Uh, Wi-Fi controlled thermostat, so you could adjust your temperature from anywhere, which is kind of nice. The other one is a camera in your garage, so that way if you drive away and you can't remember if you left the garage door down, you don't have to drive back. But I'm not a big thing into having that the whole tablet thing where, oh, I can turn on this to go here and these lights here and all that, where I'm like, what's wrong with walking into that room and turning the light switch on? See, I have a different opinion. I, I'm a big fan of smart homes. I, I think it's awesome. My biggest compliment to it is I want to see where my energy goes. I want to see what's consuming the most energy. I want to see all that stuff. Just because I'm that type of person. And I, I feel like it can really, I don't know, it, it'll help. It'll help reduce costs of a lot of things. So you're willing to give Google more of your own data? Dude, they have everything. They own everyone. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. Everyone has your data. I'm using Microsoft Windows right now, and they have everything. I, I, I'm at the point in my life where, you know, I should be concerned with all my data being controlled by all these corporations, but they already have it. Not much I can do about it now. So might as well embrace it. What's your view, Claire? I personally don't like the idea of smart homes because I feel like, remember when we were just talking about the whole power issue and the electric grid in Texas? Yeah, I I remember that conversation that we, it was great. That was great. Yep. I really don't feel like, like it'd be one thing, you know, oh, your one neighbor has a smart home and the power went out, whatever. Uh, let's not put everything relying on that. If you blow a fuse, does everything, like, I understand how fuses work and it should protect most of the stuff, but uh, what happens if everything goes down versus um, th- since things aren't so interconnected, it'll still work. Um, not to mention, like when I was looking at some of the LG stuff, they're talking about like connecting their like washers and stuff. Like, you know what? I, I can put my own laundry in the washer. It's okay. Like, I don't need you to tell me if I need to refill the detergent. Like, I, I can keep track of that. Thank you. I, I will say, though, I, I've seen the whole fridge camera thing where it can sense what's in the fridge. That would be very handy if you were at a store. But I really haven't gone grocery shopping in a long time. And I order everything online and have it put in the trunk of my car. Yeah. So I feel like that whole indish part of going and picking stuff out of the store and realizing, do I have sour cream in the fridge? I don't know. Let me look at my phone and pull up my fridge camera and see, do I see sour cream? Whereas now it's like, I just go to my phone or tablet or anything. And it's like, oh, I need sour cream and add it to the shopping cart. I mean, I definitely think that there's definitely some convenience that having a smart home could have. But... I mean, I don't think you need to build your entire infrastructure of a home around it. I think at this point, just little modifications are fine. Because as you said, things change so quickly, technology-wise, that it won't work or it'll be outdated or we'll have some crappy battery life that has to be replaced in a year. Well, that that's why I, I, I thought about the whole, uh, uh, like, doorbell, uh, thermostat and then a camera in the garage because you can get because I, I i've looked into some of the uh door uh these smart doorbells just hook on to the regular power that come out of the uh yeah like the ring the the ring um ubiquity makes one where it uses the uh it's like nine or 12 volt dc doorbell power that comes from the doorbell so that is just using your house power the thermostat 
like if you've got one of the nests or if you've got anything else it's connected literally to the thermostat it can't go up then the cameras you can get the diy the some of the diy uh house stuff like i know ubiquity sells a whole bunch of that stuff where it uses um uh it doesn't use battery power but it uses a uh, power over ethernet technology where it just had an ethernet cable that's going to carry the signal to the storage box also supplies it with power which is plugged into a wall so none of those things have a battery but can all be easily upgraded in the future should something newer or better or more efficient comes out whereas if you were to design an entire smart home around a certain tablet model that only works with that tablet model and three years down the road that tablet breaks what do you do now do you have to replumb everything in your house that worked with that tablet to work with a new tablet I'm sure they or make the it tablet breaks convenient. before. Right. I'm sure they they're not going to, you know, plan and build all this smart home technology and not have replacements in mind. I, I'm sure they're going to be thinking about what if the tablet breaks, you know, how easily it is going to be to, you know, replace okay. that. But 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 just think of think of Google, for example, think of how fast they can start and kill projects. Yeah. Because there's some stuff that doesn't even live a year. Would you want to spend every company? I just, yes. I just think if you live in that mindset where why would I get it now? It's going to be better next year. You're never going to get it because you're going to be saying that the rest of your life. You know, it's it's going to be better every single year. And, and yeah, but who knows? Maybe you're just not the person designed for smart home stuff. I think if you do a smart home, you're going to need to implement some way of having a renewable electrical source such as solar panels on your roof or a tesla solar roof uh the power wall the the solar roof you know how they they made tiles that are solar panels but they look like tiles i haven't heard i haven't see i know about the tesla thing it was part of like their solar city thing yeah it's through that but they were actually putting solar panels on your roof and then giving you a power wall that was basically a uh a tesla battery pack that you could attach to your home that's one of the options they have they have standard or standard panels but they yeah this is through well when they bought solar city it was well it was it was a subsidiary of tesla to begin with anyway yeah those are that's solar panels they look like tiles they last a lot longer than tiles huh i think if you built a smart home you're gonna need a you know, think of that because Claire made a great point. You know, what if the power goes out? You're completely dependent on electricity with a smart home. So you need some way of being independent. And I, I think if you're going to go all out with a smart home, you might as well think of, you know, everything that could go wrong and not having I'm curious power. How those, I'm curious how those tiles hold up in wind, just thinking about where I live. Like, no idea how those would like stay on. Um, I, I would bet it's nailed on or screwed yeah. on or something. It's I'm sure. I'm just curious, similar. like how they're testing it more than anything to figure that out. But anyway. these have been in development for like years now. I don't, I don't know how many years, but I've been watching it. They have different uh, styles and stuff you can do. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm. So you maybe call me crazy for not wanting a smart home. It's maybe and and I like to do it my and I'd like to do it my own way. But you know what? Call me crazy. <laughs> call me crazy, but I bet you stare I bet you 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 see people 40 years in the future who say I don't want a smart home still. Oh yeah. Always. But I uh my biggest selling point for that is energy efficiency. I want I'm spending way too much money on power currently, especially with a Grand Forks house that was built in the 70s. Now, my goal in the future is to get paid for power. That's what I want. I want to be producing so much of that that I'm getting money. A lot of that depends, though, on being in a spot where you can produce your own electricity, though. Yeah, true. 
But as you said, though, Ben, technology is getting better every year. I don't know if you've looked into solar panels, but they're they're getting a lot better in terms of picking up energy through clouds and rain and whatnot. Yeah, but they're not cheap, though. Oh, no. That's that's the main problem with solar or with a smart home. I feel like if you're going to do it, you got to go all out. You got to make sure you're set. And that's a lot of money. Main goal of that but, roof right now is yeah. to be as expensive as conventional roofing or, you know, as close as they can get. I, I don't know. It's. We will see what happens. We will see. And with all the gigafactories popping up all over the world, I, uh, I hope prices cut down. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see. Um, March Madness. We got to talk about that. I honestly didn't watch it. I don't know if you guys didn't want to talk about it. I, well, I just pulled it up because uh, that the Gonzaga win in o- overtime at, with like three seconds. Oh, nice. That was yeah. so crazy. Oh, my gosh. Claire, it yeah. sounds like you're hyped. Talk about it. How was it? Oh, well, I was watching the Gonzaga game. They're playing UCLA. And to be honest, I think I started watching at like third. Uh, no, quarters is women's basketball. I don't know where it's I half. pulled that out. Yes, it's halves for men. Sorry. Brain not work. Okay. <laughs> but I watched the overtime and it was absolutely insane. Just little bank shot at the end. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. But I ended up watching the women's game yesterday, too. But the finals tonight. So by the time this airs, this podcast airs, we'll already know who won over Baylor Gonzaga. It would be cool for Gonzaga to win since they are undefeated this year. I need them to win in my dad's work bracket so I can win money. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the biggest, the biggest push right there. So you, yeah. you 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 predicted that they would be they would go through. I did, yeah. But I need there's other people who I'm like tied with, so I need there to be like a certain point differential. Yeah. So we're ugh, odds are not looking good. Although in my other bracket with my friends, I am getting my butt kicked. So part of me is like, well, if Gonzaga loses, then I'll feel better about myself. But I'd like to win money, so we'll see. We'll see. You want to talk a bit about the. NCAA women's finals. I also um, know much about that. Uh, that was Arizona and Stanford, and Arizona beat UConn to advance, which was a pretty big deal because you'd ask most people about women's college basketball and they'd say UConn, right? Um, so Arizona came in as a three seed, and oh, geez, I just lost her name. Number 32 for Arizona uh, played at Bismarck Century one of the high schools in Bismarck. So that was kind of cool. I talked to people who were like, yeah, I played against her and stuff like that. So, um, but Stanford, Stanford won. It was pretty close. Um, Most of the game swapped leads quite a bit, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting to watch, to be honest. And a lot of people were like, women's sports are so boring. But then again, I've been watching uh, women's soccer for literal years, but. I just don't watch too many sports in general. The only sport I really watch is lacrosse, and I haven't watched that in a bit. But uh, in terms of UND sports, now to end the episode, we got women's soccer lost to South Dakota State, women's tennis lost to Kansas City, and softball, three losses to South Dakota and one win, nine to five. Overall, you know, kind of a rough week, but I'm sure it'll get better. When does uh, women's tennis and softball and soccer end? I don't know when their season ends. I don't know. I um, I know football is on a COVID leaf after a couple people tested positive. Oh. Um, because I was looking at sports and figure out why is sports so light this week? Um, they said that uh, they came out with an announcement about that. Um I, got, I think we're coming up. The calendar gets pretty light here in the next little bit. I think soccer's uh, near the end of their run. Because I don't see many more games for them scheduled. I say soccer's normally a fall sport, so I 
have no idea what, yeah. what they'd be switching it to these days. I, I can't, to be honest with, with everything being in spring, I've kind of can be, I'm trying to figure it out and I'm still lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It looks like they've got two more games against South Dakota. Okay. And then I think football has one or two more games. A lot of their games have been, uh, they had two games, no, no contest, and then a postponed game. So they really haven't played since uh, March 20th was their last game. But they had, a, they've had, they had to cancel due to, um, like I said, UND having um, a positive COVID-19 test. Uh, hmm. So we will see what happens with these uh, games if um, they will get to happen or if they will just um, unfortunately have to be canceled. I don't know. It's a common theme of the podcast. Only time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should just change the name of the podcast to that. No. Oh, no? There's okay. one other UND sports thing that happened. Uh, uh, men's hockey. I don't know if you guys saw this tweet they did. I did not. I saw a bunch of players being picked up by some teams. Yep. Players got picked up by teams. And it was. So basically, you were becoming the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> yeah. No, it was more of uh, Matt Kirstead, uh, Kirstead, I think, made his NHL debut last night, becoming the 105th UND alum to play in NHL. Thank you for tuning to Code Student Podcast. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks again to Ben and Claire. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.